Hello, welcome to the Shit You May Not Have Seen podcast, where we talk about films you may not have seen. I'm Scott. I'm Joe. I am Chris. Holy is that fuck. is that what I was meant to do? That is Chris well the The planets have aligned and Aye. the Antichrist has descended upon us that's in the form man. of Anti- Christopher Cusack. Antichrist. Antichrist. The bringer of light is here, mate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, I so we've been trying to set this one up for was it five weeks? Four weeks? Five weeks? Five weeks easily. Yeah, we, we, drew, we drew it out our virtual hat a wee while ago. We did. Yes. Um, and it's God Bless America from 2011. The most hilarious ringtone ever. Just text P-I-G. We have a press that just gives them a free pass. The boys were caught after setting the homeless man on fire. Coming up on Tough Girls. A tumor this size is very dangerous. Do you have any family? Oh. Gotta take this. My name is Chloe. I live in Virginia Beach, and everyone loves me because I'm so pretty. I wanted an Escalade! This is the biggest day of my life, and I'm doing all the work! Hey, Creepy, isn't the schoolgirl thing a little played out? Don't move and don't make a sound. If you want the car, just take it. My parents got me the wrong one anyways. Yeah, that's a tragedy. Did you just kill Chloe? Awesome. And that was a fantastic start. Do you take requests? Who are you killing next? The Kardashians. People who use rock star as an adjective. People who give high fives. Anyone who wears crystals. You're friggin' Rambo, man. <laughs> what are you looking at, old man? I'm recording this. Thanks for not talking during the feature. Thanks for turning off your cell phone. You're welcome. Why have a civilization if we're no longer interested in being civilized? Hey, buddy. What's wrong? A lot. A lot of crazy people out there. (laughs) I only want to kill people who deserve to die. Frank. What? This is more fun than killing yourself, right? I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I know it's not normal to want to kill, but I am no longer normal. You really got to take both those spots? Yeah. This is the best day ever! Wheeling out the Bobcat Goldsweet guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, on the, podca- on the podcast <laughs> twice, just, 100% Bob, Bobcat Goldsweet. just Gold have you a disc of every single fan. one of his films, man. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. I'm being typecast. I think I that's think, what uh, We'll put them all in there and every time we can't, we'll get you in. Of course, man. You can <laughs> give you the, 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 the down on how good they are or how bad. Uh, yeah, so I was on here talking about uh, World's Greatest Dad prior and I got all my kind of like preamble about Bobcat himself out of the road. Mm-hmm. So I feel... I can spend less time on that. Oh, less aye. time on Bobcat. More, more, <laughs> more time, time on just on the film. On the film, that's, yeah. that's good. Hey, aye, so this was, film came out in 2011, written directed by Goldthwait again. Can I ask, see when you guys are putting your lists together, because mm. I, I didn't suggest this. <laughs> I mean, I, I said that I liked aye, you, this. No, you brought, you brought yeah, it up. Aye. I brought aye. it up. Who, who suggested this? Who put this on your lists? You, we, <laughs> ah, right, you so, so you guys pursued because, this because we spoke about it on the last one. Ah. We put it, we put it on the last. So you were aye. intrigued. Yeah. Oh, aye, absolutely. Because yeah. that the uh, world's greatest dad was fucking brilliant. I loved yeah. it. Yeah, oh, right, good, good. So the Daniel Mahler one's got on that list. Yeah, I don't think I've mentioned any other. No, ones there was a document. There was one of the documentary. Documentary. Yeah, we've, we've never done a doc. Maybe we should. We do. should maybe do one. Yeah. 
that was that really and, fucking grim one you were talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's not going to be a cheery week. I mean, that's that's actually a double documentary, and I don't know what one's the most miserable. <laughs> I mean, it's maybe the best documentary I've ever seen, but it's Aye. not yeah. a fun time. So uh, yeah, you're probably right to go with this one. <laughs> we're kind of in a bit of misery here. So. Shooting wings. Aye, and, we're yeah, definitely into misery yeah, here, comic mate. Relief, yeah. <laughs> Fuck's sake. What was that other one we did? The, the ultra miserable one, the in a glass, oh, in a glass, in a glass cage. cage. Yeah, you oh, seen that? Oh, you yeah. seen that? You know what? I've not seen it, oh, but I've, I've I've sort of seen it by proxy because my pal Vicky has yeah, told yeah. me so much Jesus. about how traumatic it is. <laughs> it's wild. It's proper wild, isn't it? She's trying to get me to watch Salo. Uh, yeah, a thousand uh, days of Sodom. Yeah. That's meant to be fucking grim as well, man. Yeah, I right. totally. I'm up for that. That's got to make you some special sandwiches. Special sandwiches? That'll, that'll make more sense once you've seen it. Nah, okay. I, I, I can imagine what's on these special sandwiches, man. I'm, I'm not <laughs> Actually, you know what? Uh, I'm willing to bet you probably can. <laughs> oh, is it that bad? <laughs> Bye. So, God bless America. Uh, the, it's a social commentary film, I guess. Kind of. Yeah. It's so. a satire. It's satire, a pitch yeah. black comedy satire. Yeah. yeah. Um, as you said, 2011. 105 minutes, which... You know, going back to this film, I think it's, again, a bit like World's Greatest Dad, maybe about 10 minutes too long. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the type of film it is. Yeah, I'd agree. In saying that, again, like World's Greatest Dad, I'm not entirely sure where I'd make those cuts, but yeah, it just it just seems just a little bit over long. Um, yeah, so I've, I've, I've written the Pitch Black satirical killer road movie. Right, because it is a kind of road movie. It's Aye, totally. Absolutely, yeah. It's, a, it's like a an, a twee indie version of Natural Born Killers. Yeah, so there's Aye, a, that'll a come point. up. Aye, there's a few different comparisons. Um, stars Joel Murray uh, and Tara Lynn Barr. Uh, he's a middle-aged man who thinks he's te- he is terminal cancer, uh, and she's a sociopathic teenage girl. They both go on a killing spree together to purge awful people after bonding over their disgust uh, about modern US popular culture. Um, apparently, uh, Bobcat Goldthwait wrote the script as a, for his wife's Christmas. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, it's a it's fucking strange relationship. Side. That it's must be it. Yeah. Um, uh, it is, he's described it as, quote, a, a violent movie about kindness. Let's be honest, right? This film is sort of, again, a proxy for Bobcat Goldthwait's feelings. You know, on, oh, totally. Like, I mean, and, and he's clearly his wife's feelings I, as well. It, it doesn't... It doesn't. It's not subtle about what it's trying to say. Mm-hmm. No. I saw a, a couple of interviews. He did an interview at South by Southwest one year, where he said that you know he'd been particularly disturbed at the the trend uh, around you know who's the next Charlie Sheen, who's the next person that's publicly fallen apart, yeah. and that's all we're going to discuss. I think he described them as non-versations. Clearly, he's just a guy that's dismayed. At the, the level of popular discourse and where people gravitate in popular culture. Aye. Um, he so. did make comment that he'd considered, well, not that he'd considered, but this film was in place of, let's say, a documentary that would have tried to address the same issue, but just wouldn't have had anything like the appeal or the insight. There's something about comedy, something about satire in particular. Aye. I'm sure we can think of multiple examples where you are able to say a lot of the same things, but you're able to do it in a way that somehow gets past people's boredom reflex and their mm. their resistance. You know, you can get in there yep. because of the enjoyment. And then maybe the ideas simmer away and people start to reflect on them a little bit. Uh, so this film enabled them to do that. But it's very much him speaking at points. Oh, absolutely. Right. Having a good month, you know. Um, it was released as Video On Demand um, a month prior to theatres. Uh, prior to it, aye. Aye, in, in 2011. So... Uh, 
in terms of the theatre performance, I'm not really. This sure. box office was tiny. It was something like 123,000 that did. Yeah, like, but this was like an early experiment in that. You know, ah, the kind of dual release type thing. Yeah, does does this work? And I'm sure they've refined that approach mm. in the interim. Um, as I said, key cast that guy, Joel Murray, is the brother of Bill Murray. Uh, uh, yeah, I didn't, didn't realise. Yeah, the, the main guy, the main guy, brother of Bill Murray. Holy shit! He's been in Mad Men. He's been in that US version of Shameless. Also, yeah. by the way, he's the brother of Brian Doyle Murray. Now, that's the senior brother, the elder brother of the of the family. Or it was in Caddyshack. He's and in all that type of Caddyshack. shit. Caddyshack. He's in Scrooge. He's in Sixteen Candles. Uh, he's uh, Jack. He plays Jack Ruby in JFK. Ah right, so he does. Like yeah. Oliver Stone, yeah. Groundhog Day as well. He's done that, is he? Yeah, that would make sense. Aye. Yep. Uh, Tara Lynn Barr, uh, she's got a really limited film catalogue. She was also in a horror film called The Darkness with Kevin Bacon and a bunch of TV work. Uh, she was actually nominated for Best Performance, uh, Leading Actress at the Young Artist Awards for this film. Right. Bobcat Goldthwait spoken about this character in this film because having a murderous sociopathic teenager. It's a little bit taboo. Ah, in America as well, aye. And it detracts from his voice as this kind of disgruntled, you know, middle-aged, sort of liberal old man that's disillusioned with society. But as he says, there's certain things in this film that he kind of wanted to do and he needed the young female character to be there. I mean, for example, spoiler alert, you know, you're going to shoot a 16-year-old girl from uh, My Super Sweet 16. You need the foil... Of ha- otherwise it's just a murderous middle-aged old man going about doing awful things and we'll talk about it a bit maybe it kind of is that anyway um, but the Tara Tara's character in this Chloe um, that was a necessary device he felt to try and give the film a little bit of balance and credibility no. um, you might also recognise Chloe's dad in this a guy called Larry Miller Famous comedy face. He, he, he was in Pretty Woman. He was in Best in Show. He was in Suburban Commando, that classic. Oh, yeah. uh, he was in Third Rock from the Sun and 10 Things I Hate About You. He's a really familiar looking guy. Um, also, the actress Melinda Page Hamilton, we spoke about her uh, in uh, the context of World's Greatest Dad. Um, she plays Frank's ex in this. I think her name's Alison. And she was also yeah. in the Bobcat Goldthwait film Sleeping Dogs. That's, oh, the, that's yeah, the other yeah, one you recommended, I. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Please don't get me back on to talk about that. <laughs> no, um, I mean, I love that film. It's 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 very good. It's one of those films, and actually, <laughs> I was talking about how this would be a really fun concept for uh, a, a a sub series. Is just the best films you only want to see once. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. That's that's a fucking great movie. Never show it to me again, please. Yeah, we were talking about that the other day. <laughs> Ah, there's a few. There's a few, definitely. Yeah. And some of them are on this list, which means I'll need to watch them again. So far, I think a large part of this list is, that's a great movie. I really don't want to watch it again. But I'm going to have to. (laughs) Unfortunately. You know how how we usually work, I'll need to watch it three or four times before we actually get into the content. (laughs) Exactly. I kind of felt that way about Kill List. So, yeah. you guys talking about it, I was like, will I rewatch it? No, I don't. No, I don't don't think it's good rewatchability. Enjoying those feelings, no. (laughs) No. Uh, the soundtrack for this, uh, there's a there's a BRMC uh, tune in this that's quite prominent, uh, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, yeah. who were kind of like, I mean, this is maybe just past their peak, but um, they were still, you know, relatively uh, recognisable. Uh, the soundtrack also features a whole bunch of Alice Cooper, and the film actually mentions him quite a bit. I think it mentions Alice Cooper as being the first person to break gender dress norms in which music. Which is nonsense. Which is actually not true because <laughs> yeah. like Bowie uh, was before that. Bowie was before that. Arthur and, and Brown. The film, the film they also mentioned that like Bowie came after them. 
because he's like I forget boy like he didn't he didn't do it first I think the chronology is wrong Arthur Brown Arthur Brown was like he's like the guy he was he was the guy that invented the makeup yeah the theatrical stuff aye there was definitely people before Alice Cooper oh aye absolutely aye I mean you mentioned natural born killers there's there's loads of there's loads of inspirations from cinema that you can find the the plot actually about a term uh, about a terminally ill man shooting rude people is maybe inspired by a short story called To All the Rude People. This is by a writer called Jack Ritchie in 1961, but I think more importantly, it was published in an anthology by Alfred Hitchcock yeah. called Not for the Nervous. Uh, and then um, it's the film's also considered by some people, and I've not seen Bobcat Goldthwait explicitly say this, but I mean it it seems awfully close to be a coincidence. Um, a 1998 British comedy called Parting Shots. Mm-hmm. Um, right. In that film, uh, the character Harry Sterndale, played by Chris Rea, by the way. Chris Rea. Chris Rea. Always, uh, always going home for Christmas. <laughs> uh, he learns he's guy, dying of cancer and decides to go vigilante by shooting dead all those who have made his life a misery and then later discovers, what, didn't have cancer at all. Yeah, I read the synopsis for that and I was like, that's very close for a, for. Bob Cat go through. Anki Dino just played his music to them instead. <laughs> They'd have killed themselves, man. <laughs> yeah, that surely is a form of cancer. <laughs> brain cancer, yeah. definitely. Chris here gives you cancer. Heard it here first, folks. The character of Tara, she's inspired by a Liza Minnelli character, I believe, from a film called Sterile Cuckoo. Bob Kit Goldthwait said this in an interview, and apparently Liza Minnelli was really young at the time, uh, but she plays this totally mental uh, teenager in a film going way back early right. in her career and he said he just absolutely loved that character and wanted an opportunity to try and recreate someone like that and I think Tara I think you know the character does seem kind that she seems like a theatre kid just in her performance mm-hmm. it's, kinda, uh, it's uh, almost kind of cartoony yeah quite uh, yeah. she um, also seemed older I don't know how old she was when she was in this role I, 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 I mean she seemed older than a, a I'm teenager not, I'm not sure but I know that she did say that she had to run it by her parents to do it Right. her parents okay. were really big fans of the film they loved the script they loved mm. the messaging in it they obviously knew it was a bit close to the bone but they, they were really on board with it but I mean she can't have been you know it wasn't like uh, she wasn't Luke Perry she wasn't her 40s yeah. <laughs> 30 year old playing a 17 year old I Um some genre nods obviously a really really apparent one is Falling Down the Joe Schumacher Aye, film totally yeah I mean yeah. that just seems like a prime candidate for this film yeah. this podcast man I classic mean, as well man uh, Bonnie and Clyde yeah. would Aye, totally, be one yeah. I mean that's the, the road movie part and they clearly they embrace that quite a bit uh, in this um, Wild at Heart Aye, mm. definitely. Uh, David Lynch film with Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern, uh, and it's got some of that madcap energy as, yeah. as well at points. Mm. Uh, when Frank is buying the AK forty seven, the dealer describes it as quote the very best there is. When you absolutely positively got to kill every <laughs> motherfucker in the room except no substitutes, which is obviously Samuel Samuel L. Jackson's yeah. uh, quote from Jackie, Jackie Brown. Jackie yeah. Brown, the start of it, yeah. yeah. Um, and also during the teddy bear scene in this, the, the target practice scene, I think it is. Uh, there's a subtle nod to true romance is it in the background music I, I can't remember there was something there that nodded to true romance um, and also uh, Roxy wears Elvis glasses uh, again similar to true yeah. romance there's a kind of there was point pop fiction points in it as well it reminded me of Honey Bunny and uh, Pumpkin yeah uh, totally even at one point uh, Frank is dressed like Tim Roth in Pulp Fiction. He's got the, the white sh- the white t-shirt and the Hawaiian shirt. Oh, His that, hair's kind of cold. That's a good point, and, actually. I just thought he looks like him. Looks totally, like that character. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and there's, there's the diner scene as well, where the two of them are sitting off each other in the diner. Uh, they're, they're dressed kind of similar to those characters. Mm. Could have been coincidence, but I don't know. 
you never know, considering all the other references in the film. It's, it's Here's one that you might not have picked up on. Uh, during the, the news of the theatre shooting, so they do a theatre shooting, basically, and during the news of that, uh, along the bottom of the screen, you can read about Libyan terrorists and their foiled attempt at obtaining plutonium bars, yeah, which is a nod to Back, back to the Future. future. <laughs> yeah. um, there's... I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you'd, you'd want to go beat for beat in this. That's maybe... Maybe it's worth somewhat going beat for beat and then coming back to, to the next bit. Because we do need to start at the very beginning though because that opening needs spoken about. Yeah, so that's one oh, of the aye, absolute... Aye. That, that was basically the reason I watched this in the first place. I was watching, I was reading uh, rather uh, a list of like cinemas, indie cinemas, most shocking moments. Mm-hmm. And it just had like a whole bunch of like pull out sections you know and and this was like this opening gambit from this this film like wow what the fuck and how would you de- how would you describe it he basically kills a baby with a, shot. with a shotgun uh, i mean just, doesn't he just fucking kill uh, it but it turns, turns, turns it into soup, soup. Yeah. yeah so uh i there's basically He's in bed, and we've all been there in, in that situation. You're, oh, you're lying, and you're, you can hear your neighbours next door yep. just being noisy, ignorant fuckers, and, and you do just you, you do, do think about. Them. I wish I had a shotgun. To yeah, it's and deal with this. exactly. Except in this yeah. one, he goes in and he takes it out the baby, yeah, or, or rather, the the woman cowardly like she holds, she holds the baby, baby up <laughs> as a shield, and he's just like, well, fuck it, then and he shoots yeah. it. That's and exactly what it is—a shield. Explodes <laughs> all over her. Yeah, like the the gore is off the hook at this point. Yeah, yeah. but the get out is clearly that. He's he's fantasizing. Yeah. It's it's like a kind of he's smiling to himself yeah. as this is just a sort of waking dream that he's having. But this is all part like the reason it's so punishing is because he's actually meant to have a brain tumor at this point, or he thinks mm. he does. Aye. Or well, no, he doesn't. At this point, he's he doesn't. He's severe having headaches, headaches, and then he's like, right, I'm going to have to go to the doctor. But before he does that, it gives you a little bit of context in his life. It cuts to like his routine in the morning. So uh, the things like there's like in the background, you see like Tucker Carlson esque TV shows. You see TV shows like Dumb Butts, I think it is, which is basically Jackass, yeah. uh, Tough Girls, things like that. There's an American Superstars thing, which plays a big part in this, where you've got, you know, the panel from like one of these talent shows, uh, like X Factor, where you've got yeah. an English arrogant guy, an arrogant guy, clearly meant to be Simon Cowell, Latina, uh, which would be Paul Abdul, um, the Black Judge, and that I'd never watched the American Murder. Who that I was don't know. Meant to be. Um, Le- Lamar or something like that. No, was it one of the Jacksons? Was it, it Tito Jackson? Tito, maybe something to do with the Jacksons, I think. Anyway, um, so yeah, there's a parallel to that. Um, and actually, I think there's a radio show mocking testicular cancer at some yeah. point when he's in the car as well. That bit's fucking brilliant. There's stuff mocking, <laughs> quote, retards. Um, yeah. And there's, like, there's, I think there's a comment about some girl gets molested, so they give her backstage passes. So it's just this cascade of really bewildering societal shit Aye. that is just piled on at the start, and as, as well as this guy having this constant headache. Uh, his daughter is just a brat you know he phones his ex-partner his ex-wife who's getting remarried or she lets him know she's getting remarried to a guy called Brad Uh, his daughter is just an absolute little shit Um, he goes into work and I think he he gives a book to his colleague like the receptionist in the place gives her a loan of a book because it's clearly something they've been talking about and it ends up she reports him for harassment despite happily taking this book in the office itself, you know, everybody's got the same jokes, everybody's watching the same rerun of their, their American superstars, like X Factor clip from the night before when some boy got sort of humiliated. He fantasises about shooting his colleagues as well. He has, a, what I would say, a really good uh, monologue 
or well, no dialogue, I suppose, with his, with his jock idiot yeah. colleague. Um, and the speeches in this film are somewhat OTT. They're kind of clumsy. I mean, they're written in a... They're a lecturing, sort of galloping fucking tirade, but they're very eloquent and they're not really tweaked to sound conversational. No, it's clearly... Rambling. I, I think it, it's clearly Bob Catgoldthwaite speaking to you, the audience, I think. It's uh-huh. like a, a rambling guy. Yeah. And I think that the only thing is... Joe Murray struggles to make them sound anything other than arsey because they're not tweaked to sound conversational because they're not adjusted they're overly verbose and you can hear them kind of tripping over the dialogue there and I don't quite think they got that right, I think it would have been good to have some sort of device in the film that made those speeches more apparently smoother Well, either change the dialogue to make it more conversational or somehow use some kind of treatment of the scene to make it obvious that you're it's almost not really happening you know it's like a yeah it's, it's like his, an aside like it's a like, like the the fantasy at the beginning yeah kind of it played slightly different from the rest of the film exactly uh, like like it's an idealized version of what he would say because yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it is like mm-hmm. he, that's clearly been workshopped until it's like a perfectly watertight tirade but that's not how we speak and i think that's the one of the <clears> points i like it but it trips the film up it doesn't quite get that bit totally right but I mean the the content of the the, the speech is really entertaining and I think the the director obviously knows it's OTT there's a quote in it American Superstars i.e. X Factor is the new Colosseum um, talking about the decline of civilization, fall of the Roman Empire and yeah and that's when you do as you said you really realise that this is Bobcat talking directly to the audience this film is an excuse for him to fucking rant or to maybe rant on the behalf of his wife as well from the sounds of it there's stuff about him then, obviously, Joe Murray's character, uh, Frank, the woman reports him for giving her uh, giving her the loan of the book and for also, I think, sending Same her flowers when, when she was yeah. ill. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and so the, the boss says, oh, you know, it's not me, it's the higher-ups, which is a great line because it's that pathetic, the book. evasive, slimy bureaucracy yeah. that, you know, it, it, that's a, a good bit of observation. And then amidst all this, uh, Frank goes to the doctor to try and see what's going on with his headaches and you see him getting a cancer diagnosis. But the way he gets a cancer diagnosis with the doctors on the phone, yeah. like, sorry, I, I need to take this. And it turns out that the call in the middle of this cancer diagnosis, while Frank's sitting there staring at him, just jaw dropping, uh, is that the his card of he's been getting a valley or something like that and it's yeah, the, it's, yeah. Not the, yeah. it's not the way you want it's it not it's not the colour or yeah. something I can't quite remember but the whole point is at the start of this film you're just like everybody is a fucking piece of shit yeah. and this yeah. guy is at his wits end and he's just found out he's going to die and it's that kind of one bad day sort of thing yeah so over the edge so what's he going to do now that he's found out he's going to die and there's this moment where he flirts with killing himself gets very close to it and then catches, uh, is it my super sweet 16? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, which is, you know, this absolute kind of dog shit it. little spoiled yeah. brat throwing a tantrum because her dad gets her uh, the wrong car for her 16th birthday. Yeah. She wants a, an, an Escalade. She wants an Escalade or she didn't want an Escalade. I can't remember. Um, it wasn't the car she wanted. But either. he's about to kill himself and he sees this on TV and he's like, well, you know what? If I'm going to kill myself anyway, I might as well use my exit for something yeah, useful for society it's, there's an interesting parallel there as well where he phones his wife and his daughter is screaming in the background about how she wanted an iPhone and she, she got a Blackberry she got a Blackberry yeah <laughs> and she's just a little kid at that point I mean it's it's pretty relentless in, in getting across his 
feelings towards yeah. contemporary society. Like I said, that uh, the Charlie Sheen effect that he talks about in the interviews. <laughs> um, did you notice his house, by the way, is uh, 5,773 and, uh, and a half. And a half. <laughs> yes. So he's like insignificant. Yeah. Even his house is, is insignificant. <laughs> and his neighbours are complete prick yeah, as well. Totally intolerable neighbours. Yeah, totally. yeah. He fucks his car up. Uh, no, he steals his car. He steals his car. For the spree. Rampage, yeah. yeah. He crosses paths. When, when he kills uh, the brat from that show, um, it's, he, it's flying many attempts to kill her. He's, he's first he locks her in the car and he's going to try and blow it up with with a, a flaming rag in the gas tank. But then the guy blows away. Yeah, he's like, oh shit, because he tries to do a cool walk away. Totally we, botches we it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it ends up just shooting her in the car window. Yeah, which is fucking brilliant. Uh, Witnessed by uh, Roxy. Roxy, yeah. instead of panicking and screaming and running off, she's just like, all right, that was that was awesome. Yeah. And then you realise, okay not a normal person and then she gets involved and the two of them she goes to his hotel room when he's about to kill himself again and she intervenes and that's the only reason he doesn't die ends up leathering to him about oh I want to do this with you like we can actually achieve something with this and he ends up taking it on board right you'll, you'll work that bit out I think at this point though you are one thing that really occurred to me was that Roxy doesn't seem like a very real character at that point. I think it's it's very much a device, and it's something that Bobcat Goldthwait does a lot, where he doesn't try and put too much realism in his films. He's quite happy to do things that are very OTT if they serve his purposes. I think he gets away with more by doing that as well. Do you know what I mean? It's the extreme stuff that happens in his films, do you know what I mean? The, the yeah, ca- I cartoon violence, do you know what I mean? Aye, if yeah. it was more based in, rea- uh, the characters were more realistic, it would be harder to do those things, do you know what I mean? Well, I'd think anyway, do you know what I mean? Yeah. She's fucking irritating uh, ah, a lot of the time. I mean, yeah. He refers to her as Goodnight Juno, and I think there's references to, to Juno to Juno as well. Yeah. Um, another thing that's quite important in it is finding the balance to keep him as, even. I mean, even though he's on a murderous rampage and he's just shot a 16-year-old girl, he they're very, very uh, careful not to let there be any sexual tension on his part. Mm-hmm. Like, all of his responses to anything that Roxy says that's even vaguely suggestive are very sort of like, Shutting it down. Yep, totally. It's a, that's a weird moral trade when you think about the context of the film. Yeah. Um, I mean, there is point, one point where she's straight up asking, Do you find me attractive? I, I like, found that yeah. uncomfortable actually, but yeah. obviously it's deliberate. The way, the way he handles it, he's not even getting a conversation with a teenager about about that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and she also then says to him, though, which is good because it's a bit, it, it's not a fourth wall break, but it's, a, it's something of a fourth wall break in terms of the logic. She says, Oh, you can kill a teenager, but not fuck one, hmm. which is. Uh, you know, really putting the nail on the head as regards the hypocrisy of this film, or one of the hypocrisies of this film, and showing that Bobcat Goldthwait is quite happy to engage in hypocrisies when they serve a purpose. Yeah. It's it's a kind of, it's a bad faith thing that people use against him, is to assume that he doesn't know that when they want to be critical of his films. We'll talk about a couple of the responses, the critical responses to this movie, and how I think they were sort of... D- Maybe not deliberately, well, misreading it, but perhaps deliberately misreading it yeah. because they just wanted to, to dig that's it. And he is again. quite willing to put in over-the-top characters because that's a feature, not a bug. And he is quite willing to have his own characters call out the, the, the totally inconsistent morality of his films because he just likes fucking with society in that sense. He just likes looking at the weird, uncomfortable observations. I mean, it's like sleeping dogs. It's like, this is just weird and uncomfortable. We've made an entire film about a really weird, uncomfortable thing. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, it's the same in World's Greatest Dad. It's the same in a lot of his stuff. Yep. He just, he likes making us a bit... He wants you to squirm. Uneasy, yeah. Yeah. And, And likes just 
putting in front of us our own inconsistencies, mm-hmm. and, you know, and mm-hmm. that's that's what he's doing on purpose. It's not it's not an, uh, a fault. Uh, I mean, whether you like it or not is another thing, but it's yep. definitely not an accident. Um, there's a couple of there's digs at Woody Allen in this. Um, there's a bit of the dialogue where they, again they get a bit wordy. I think there's a point where he's screaming the word uh, where they squeeze in the word erudite, and it it's just not. The dialogue hasn't been workshopped enough right. for uh, me. It's yeah. like, can it reminds me of Kevin? You know the way Kevin Smith's dialogue yeah. can be. I've literally got I, this is Kevin Smith say. Uh, uh, you know, Dante yeah. does that a lot. In too much. Uh, it's very. I. Uh, it's no natural. It doesn't it come across. No, it's the, the written word rather. It's totally. Aloud rather than Absolute. a no, conversation. Nobody's that fucking witty or that intelligent. You know what I mean? Uh, on the on the spot. <laughs> Do you know I, what I mean? As you as you say, it's, it's like a big thing in Kevin Smith, and I, I kind of wonder if maybe. Kevin Smith and Bobcat Goldthwait. You know, do you think they refuse to let their actors and actresses alter? Ad lib sort of thing. I think I, Kevin Smith used to be like that. I don't think he's quite the same these days. Yeah, but that's why his films completely fucking suck. Yeah, yeah but I know back back in back in the days of uh, when he did Clerks, like he was very much stick to the fucking script. Because yeah. if you were reading that. I think you would be like Kevin. I'm really struggling with this. Yeah, one. I, I, totally can't, I can't make this work. Yeah, and yeah. like, can we ad- ad- adjust it or something? Like, no, no, it's, it's meant yeah. to be like that. You've spoken about working these actors like puppets. It's too style. It's too stylized, isn't yeah. it, for me? Yeah, Aye. I don't know. I, I kind of like that sometimes. Aye, uh, as long as it's not every character. Yeah. Sometimes it gets like every character. Like, like Kevin he, Smith. In this film, there's there's a weird tone in the film where it's somewhat realistic but also it's doing that thing as well where it's very stylized. Aye, totally. Aye. And I think the tone clashes a little bit, it which does. is what you're mentioning, Chris, totally. with the yeah, dialogue. I mean, sure. There's there's moments when it's in the midst of the flow of the film where it just simply doesn't work. And then there's moments where there's a kind of monologue happening like the one at his work early on where I think they could have treated it slightly different and mm, made it seem almost like a kind of I, I mean um, within his own head sort of thing. Yeah, yeah just just I, to show it was idealised that maybe actually when he was speaking he wasn't speaking as, as eloquently as that. Yep. But that how it was in his mind mm, and, yep, I get that. you know the same effect uh, we mentioned there's a there's a theatre shooting in it They're, they go they see this documentary called The Graves of My Lie which by the way is not going to be a million miles away from the documentary I'm talking about doing with you guys so <laughs> fucking hell man um, and the kids in the cinema or most of them laugh uh, which leads to them getting shot mostly there's one girl who they let away with um, and they thank her for not speaking and not Aye. switching off her mobile Being phone. courteous, yeah. yeah. Um, that we talked about earlier, and they talk about uh, Juno. Uh, she's uh, the, the author of Juno, Diablo Cody. Um, is described as the only stripper with too much self esteem <laughs> by Roxy's character. I think there's a bit in it that's quite iconic where they shoot a guy for taking up two parking spaces, mm. and I kind of think that that's a weird inflection point in terms of your sympathy for the story because. Uh, it's at what point do you stop killing for what, what yeah what you know yeah. a parking space kill them for that I there was the lines become blurred do you think they just do you think they actually sat by a bit of paper before they did this film and just wrote wrote down noisy neighbours that's one thing you would kill somebody yeah. for taking a parking space <laughs> and just bulletin points and then just bolt the story around right. about that. <laughs> I mean, if we were being as petty as that, I, I don't know about you guys, I would go for folk that get their car exhausts souped up. Yeah. I, I, racers for sure. And people that um, chew loudly as well, make too much <laughs> noise when doing anything, fucking in the gym, fucking yeah. eating. I, I don't even understand how the car exhaust thing is fucking allowed. I mean, there's there's no benefit at all. Societally, it is, it is a complete negative exactly. across the board terrorises fucking pets it's deeply unpleasant it's actually physically painful if it pops in the way yeah. by you Aye. like that is absolutely to me 
the thing that you know in you should the, be killed for in the context of this film <laughs> that is the one I'd be like yeah Aye. just fucking like yeah. gunning they fuckers down but totally. I think the, the guy getting killed for the parking space or the double parking space in this is the point where it kind of jumps the shark in terms of being able to sympathise with their, their rampage yeah. I mean okay he shoots a 16 year old girl that's fucking ridiculous but she's a wee cunt though, she's, she's, she's also used at that point in the film to embody that sort of cultural decay you know that that, that 16 year old girl character she's on TV she's creating actual societal harm in, in, the, in the world of this yeah. film you know and, and so there's that kind of figurative thing going on there and there's like a figurative thing that goes on with some of the other killings you know the the, the cinema the cruelty of the young laughing at the My Lai massacre yeah. and things like that or My Lai. Um but I think when it gets to the point where they're just killing people for parking badly no. you're like right it, but I mean don't get me wrong I don't think that's not deliberate I think Bobcat Goldthwait again is now saying right you've enjoyed what these people are doing and now you're actually going to have to start being a bad person Aye. for supporting what they're doing because yeah, yep, they've, totally. they've crossed a line now to just settle in petty grievances with fucking capital punishment I, I, they're just taking out their, their own kind of bloodlust and then they're using it as an excuse just to fucking to yeah. kill <laughs> um, he, he still attempts a couple of kind of moral um justifications i mean for example the the racist gun seller has to also be a total anti-semite mm -hmm. you know it's it's almost like the, the, he needs to make that character absolutely reprehensible yeah. to justify killing him because just being a gun seller that's not enough that's not yeah. enough despite the fact that he killed a 16 year old girl for being a brat yeah it, you know so there's, there's there are some odd inconsistencies um there's a mention of robin williams by the way during, uh, during got a, some he's mentioned in a news report or something that's wearing, right looks I, like he's wearing a gorilla suit or something like that <laughs> tmz yeah. finale is that yeah. a reference to him being hairy <laughs> maybe um and just talking about that kind of moral inconsistency and the hypocrisy and the kind of eye-rolling sort of weird place the film ends up um thematically by the end again, I think somewhat on purpose, um, he says to the security staff as he's shooting them on the set, um, we've lost our kindness. Yeah. And again, that's a very Bobcat Goldthwait thing, which is to do something that you're able to dismiss. Be like, what? How, we're meant to like this character? Well, are you meant to like this character by the end of the film? I don't know if you are. I don't know if you're ever really meant to like Roxy. I'm not completely sure. I think uh, at points you're meant to, but I think, yeah. again, people are guilty of underestimating Bobcat Goldthwait. And this is one of the reasons I, I, I would go to bat for the guy because I really like his ambiguity. I love the fact that he doesn't, consider himself some like overly virtuous person I think he just likes con people being faced with their own imperfection including himself yep. and he lets all his characters occupy these really uncomfortable spaces they're not even anti-heroes they're just these really messy complicated people who at some points in the movie you like them you know a bit like Robin Williams and then other points in the movie you're like that's fucking pathetic that's just people in general though isn't it and that's that's what I think is part of his genius. That's one of the reasons I've been such a, an advocate for him over the years in general, not just when I'm in your yeah. house. A bit police academy, but he's brilliant. Isn't he? <laughs> I actually saw that a couple of nights ago. So oh, good, man. No, number two, man. So good, Fucking man. Then he ends up teaming up with um, Sweet oh, the, Pea. With the, the gangs. <laughs> that's fucking great. <laughs> see, when you see him being in, uh, interviewed or you hear him being interviewed, right, he's quite hesitant. He, he, does that, that and you're kind of waiting, waiting for him. Yeah. <laughs> I wish he would, man. <laughs> Must have been a shock to people like first speaking to him when he didn't do that. No, Aye, like, this, this guy was just being a character such, in a film. Such a fucking bizarre <laughs> character. <laughs> that didn't hurt. That didn't hurt. That hurt. Um, so 
basically the theme that, that, that kind of blends us all together and brings uh, the realisation on top of the characters, or at least on top of Frank, is that one of the things that's been consistent throughout the film is this American superstar show where they mock this young man who has some sort of learning difficulty and he's he's singing and he's singing badly and the crowd are hooting and hollering and laughing at him and mocking him and the judges are mocking him and the show gets replayed and TMZ and E! Entertainment or the equivalent in this film are replaying it and society, his office are all talking about it. Everybody's just ripping this young man with clearly some sort of learning difficulty and that is just a consistent point of disgust for him throughout the whole movie and the movie culminates in him going to the set and trying to exact revenge on the judges, trying to defend this young guy who's back on the show and you know, shooting the judges, like opening fire on the, mm-hmm. the security staff that try and stop him and things and being like, trying to explain to them why what they're doing is so horrendous and the judges do sort of, there is an element of them oh yeah you're right this is horrendous but we're just sort of doing it because we get paid but then what really flips it is that Stephen the young man who's the subject of that you know they're like you drove this boy to try and commit suicide because that's a big part of it it's like this boy tried to kill himself and Frank is outraged because he thinks he's tried to kill himself because of the mockery because of the humiliation and actually he finds out because Stephen says to him oh no I did it because I thought I wasn't going to be on TV anymore Yeah, and Frank's just so taken aback by that like what? Yep. I, thought, I thought you did it because he's based, uh, he's based his entire killing spree on that basically <laughs> and then he realises that this victim is actually as pathetic as everybody yep. else yep. and again very Bobcat Goldthwait yep. twist in a story where even the one sympathetic character in the film you actually he's, pull the sympathy away yeah, from him and just it's like no, nobody's innocent man. everybody yeah. ends up a big beige mess of stuff <laughs> yeah. and so that leads to you know the climax which I'm, I'm sure folk can see for themselves um, but that's also going to play a part in a, when I go back here to look at some of the real life inspirations behind this film but yeah as we said it's, it's clearly a conduit for uh, Bobcat Goldthwait's own frustrations it must have been very cathartic to just go through that list of things that piss him off Yeah, um, and, and it's entertaining um, he's made a comment in some interviews you know people were like it's absolutely appalling that you did this you know you shooting young girls that in, in cars and uh, all these kind of like hang ups that you have like what if we did this you know this is like conservatives Yep. Largely, you know, conservative media who were appalled at this and knew he's obviously a, a kind of outspoken liberal. Um, and they're like, well, what if we made films like this about, you know, liberal th- people that we don't like, virtue signaling people, and we just kill them? And Bobcat Goldthwait's response was, I would rather you made a film than actually, you know, went on shooting sprees. Because that's the thing, like, the, the conservative groups in America go on actual shooting yeah. sprees, <laughs> go and shoot in a, uh, shoot up actual high schools, go in, in these, these far-right groups that are yep. of these very uh, certain specific mindsets. But even, he says, I'd actually rather you made films than ran for governor. I'd rather you made films than ran for office because you inflict real-world harm with your own intolerances. You you pick yeah, up on your own point. little fucking beefs and, and um, peccadillos and you fucking go and build your entire political career just to try and get revenge on the people that pissed you off at an earlier time. I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene and people like that, that's exactly what they did with their, with their careers. And so he's, he's got a point there and he does embrace how petty 
his enterprise is in making this film and he's like yeah I did it to feel better and I did it so a lot of people watching this film would because I knew they would agree with me and they would feel better and actually it's quite cathartic but actually they're not going out and shooting up a school Aye. Um, yep. so I mean it's, that's an interesting approach I mean I, I suppose he would probably very much refute the notion that this film inspires that kind of behaviour yeah no. absolutely uh, do you think as well like um, just the whole you know the moral thing you were saying you know things that really really affect you know piss him off I found myself, and probably we're kind of all around about the same age. I think. Do you think there's a drop-off point in people's age groups where they won't understand what he's trying to say? Because I completely understand where he's coming from with all the stuff he's doing. You yeah. know what I mean? I, you know, because I think it's we came for the time before mobile phones and like you were saying, reality TV shows and all that type of shit. So we can we knew what the world was like before that. So we can almost look at that and go, right? I I get where he's going with that, but. I think there's like if you showed that to somebody now in their twenties, they they would they wouldn't get the same thing from it. I don't think because because of what I was just saying. Do you know what I mean? I don't think they have that you know that that insight to what it was like before people were yeah. having the piss taken out of them live in television. Do you know what I mean? Because that just became the norm now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There is a wee bit of that in this, I guess, when he's speaking to the the jock uh, his jock coworker who's totally in on all that stuff and think it's thinks it's hilarious and he's. Um, and I think at one point he just says, oh, you just don't get it. Aye, so, there yeah. you go. Aye. Aye. It does aye. reflect a little bit on the, the generation gap. Yeah, totally. The, the, there's a, I think there's multiple lines that it's kind of straddling in that sense. One would be that, yeah, there is no doubt, that, I mean, let's take UK culture, for example, that there was a point where decorum and being a bit more reserved was more prized and TV that you get now what's that fucking TV show where people just the screen comes up and you just judge men and women and their genitalia before you oh, go on a date yeah, with them yeah Channel 4 show you yeah. fucking serious that's a show yeah. you know seen that no have a fuck yeah. fucking N- hell. Naked Attraction it's Naked what? Attraction this is on the TV yeah it's on yeah. Channel 4 fuck it's a, quite, it's, it's a dating show where like the screen just comes up and you just look you at just their look junk at her, look at their boby and decide uh, whether or not you uh, front, like that boby front and back yeah. and you pass sake. comment on it and then you end up meeting them and actually going on a date with them yeah. or not because that determines whether they're so, fucking aye. what I think is interesting is when you look at that show you do get that sort of righteous fucking indignation <laughs> of like how I'm did we get to this fucking point totally there's no denying that that would not have Alone in the 60s and oh, 70s no chance but then again we have to be fucking really careful here to not get into this fucking like uh, halcyon thinking this Trumpist fucking like no, perfect era aye, because totally, in the 70s totally, you had people coming out like making fun of their Asian neighbours as the basis of a fucking TV yeah. show no, aye, totally, yeah. so there are totally. different outrages for different eras aye, and totally. yeah I can understand how but I think the to the point that Joe's making I think and you as well with that show Naked Attraction like it's not seen as an outrage no, I, you know, no, nobody's getting outraged. You look at it as like a ca- kind of car crash TV yeah, thing. But, yeah, like, we, but we, yeah, we can look at it and yeah. say, what the fuck? But, but also, is I, someone younger watching it? That, that, that's watching completely it as a normal. Ah, exactly, do you know yeah. what I mean? But uh, that's that's what I mean when we're straddling different lines because yeah. some yeah. young people would be watching that going, well, I've grown up with that. There's nothing unusual. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what what was point but then if they saw like a comedy that we saw maybe in the 80s, like a Carry On movie, they'd be like, what the fuck? This is a fucking disgusting. They might get the opposite version of outrage so there there are moving parts and changes across the board but it doesn't all just happen uniformly it all moves gradually to the left or to the right or forward or back there's a bit of a morass going on there so yeah you're right there's probably certain aspects of this that won't age I'd say there's probably certain aspects of a lot of these comedies that that don't age and fall out of favour and this is very much aimed at a certain 
group of people that don't get where we're at and don't get Aye, totally. mockery TV mm-hmm. effectively, like he says, that American stars is, or American superstars is the Coliseum, that, that, that societal decay, that being an, an emblematic of it. I mean, it might just come around. It might be one of these things. It might also become very cult because there may be a subset of society that does continue to think like, how the fuck did we get like yeah. this? And, and therefore it acquires, yeah, you're right. Maybe the, the TikTok, Instagram generation doesn't get it, but you know, the, maybe the fringes of it do, that oh, just there will be people, do not connect to that. Ah, there will be people definitely that will see that and go, right, that's fucked. There's got to be. But I think it's the descent, you know, you're desensitized now. I mean, I think you were talking about kind of, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s. The first programme I actually remember thinking, right, that's, that's fucked and it's exploiting people was the word. Yeah. Remember the word back mm-hmm. in the 90s? Yeah. That for me was when I started to see television starting to change towards this sort of thing. Famous, where famously having people eating shit sandwiches. Yeah, I, I, like, Do you remember like, Eurotrash? Yeah, yeah, that was the that, same. Yeah. Well, that was the same yeah. time. The wee penguin man, yeah. uh, like the, the, just mocking this like demented old guy that used mm. to cut about Paris. Fucked. Um, and then obviously you had like the, the red light zone and all these kind of things happening yeah. and you, you did have a lot of like really edgy TV starting to peek through and it was controversial at the time. Yeah, totally. You know? yeah, um, especially, yeah. I think there's a couple of real life scenarios or real life inspirations perhaps for this that I, that I wanted to draw attention to. Okay, the first one would be a guy called Charles Whitman. Now, one of the TV clips shown in the film is a, a documentary about Charles Whitman. He was the guy uh, that famously shot people from the university clock tower in Texas. Yeah. And he left a note saying that he thought there was something wrong with his brain and asking for an autopsy to be performed in it after the police killed him in that incident. And, you know, the police did kill him. And unlike Frank in this film, it was determined that he genuinely had a brain tumour. And therefore, post-mortem, he was found not responsible for his actions because this tumour was actually substantially affecting his behaviour. And that's kind of woven into this movie. So there's an interesting wee observation in that. The second one, I think, is the key one. And I didn't actually know about any of this, right? The Stephen Clark character in it, the one that gets mocked. Well, he's actually based on two real American Idol contestants. One of them was a guy called William Hung from 2004, and that was in season three of American Idol. And he was seen as this really negative stereotype of Asian Americans, you know, kind of bad karaoke singer and a total joke. Um, But he was also seen by other people who watched the show as being refreshingly unpretentious. Um, He was very much laughed at. The guy didn't seem to get that he was also being ridiculed, and he became quite a prominent part of that season three uh, lineup, uh, and, and so that was part of the inspiration for this character. The second one, though, Paula Goodspeed wasn't actually a real name. A real name was Sandra May McIntyre. This is in season five. Uh, she did kill herself after rejection from the show, and the manner of the reje- rejection is poor. It's heavy, heavy going. Um, I've, the videos are of her appearance on the show are still up online. Um, basically, uh, she sang Proud Mary really fucking badly, let's be honest. And the Simon Cowell, in particular, relentlessly mocks her. Like, she's got metal braces on her teeth. He just fucking goes after that. He's a cunt, It's man. absolutely humiliating and awful. And, and I mean, like, you know, a lot of people you know, rip into Simon Cowell and you're like, oh, he's just one of these TV bad guys, you no, know. It's a horrible but character. actually when you see what he did in the context of that show, it is fucking awful. It's character assassinating people, eh? it's now, this, horrible. This woman wasn't right in the first place. Her name is Sandra May McIntyre. She changed it to Paula Goodspeed because she was obsessed with Paula Abdul. Oh, um, right. And she'd actually been sort of cautioned from stalking Paula Abdul. Right. And Paula Abdul had objected 
to the TV to the show producers because she found out this woman was coming on the show or her team did and they were like we don't really feel comfortable with her being on the show and the producers were like no no this will be great this will be great bring this crackpot on the show I'm putting words in their mouth but yeah, bring that, this crackpot on the show that'll I be I suspect it probably went something like yeah, that yeah that, that'll be good telly um, and I mean she fucking named herself after her well the thing is when she killed herself she fucking killed herself on Paula Abdul's front lawn what after the, after the humiliation on this TV show. I knew about the story. I didn't realise that's, that's where she did it. Though. Yeah, she, yeah, she killed herself in front of Paula Abdul's house. It's wild. Took a drug overdose on the front lawn. It's fucking terrible. And that is fucking heavy, heavy duty. And see when you read that, like the level of disgust that wells up in you, you start to get a little bit closer to where Frank's at the, yeah. in this film. And Fuck you, aye, 100%. You start to get a little bit closer to totally. Bobcat Goldthwait and his wife are, are, are saying through this script, you know, that that absolute moral outrage when you I mean I challenge you to go and watch what Simon Kill says to that woman mm. and watch her reaction knowing that, that she kills 48 hours later, later she was on a fucking yeah. slab and I bet Brutal. he doesn't give a fuck yeah he's I mean the, the, the show itself went into like serious fucking uh, what would you call it you know circle the wagons fucking like yeah. pr- protection mode after that but it is horrific it's, it's, it brings up that whole thing about these about shows like this kind of reality shows having a duty of care to the people that they're putting Aye. on the show Aye. like there was the recent one where <clears throat> oh who was it your man your man that was on in the mornings Jeremy Kyle. Jeremy Kyle. Oh, he's like another it. one I yeah I recently it was taken off air because somebody killed somebody himself. killed themselves Aye. Um, because there was no duty of care to the, the people they, they were bringing on and, and basically exploiting. Oh, and totally. Just then, then when they're done, they're like, right, okay, on, off you go, Aye. that's fine. And, but in, in the head of these people, they've just been And they've, been, and they've got yeah. to go back to the, where they come from and they're mm. going to get fucking ridiculed yeah. even further, do yeah. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's horrible. Um, now, as I said, the critical reactions to this film were fairly mixed. Uh, the performance at the box office was poor, but then again, they had done that video on demand thing a month <laughs> prior, which is like an odd move. NPR... For example, they said of it uh, that Goldthwait is hardly the first filmmaker of his boomer generation to go after cultural decline. And they drew attention to John Waters and they also mentioned, uh, you know, he did the film Serial Mom, yeah. which has a bit of that in it. And they also mentioned Fallen Down by Joe Schumacher. Uh, like Frank, Goldthwait uh, despises not just the reductive stupidity of the lesser echelon of reality TV, but its escalating cruelty and incivility. I think uh, Bobcat Goldthwait had defended it uh, against the middle-aged woman who hated it, you know, talking about that kind of Christian mom yeah. type person. And that was when he made, he said that quote about, you know, I'd rather you made these kind of films in response than you actually, you know, had a gun culture and went out shooting kids. Mm-hmm. The NPR review did say there's an underlying sweetness and ethical urgency to Goldthwait's work, no matter how hairy the action gets. Frank may be a crusader for civility, but Goldthwait won't let us forget that his cleansing operation is a logical extension of precisely the brutality he seeks to avenge. And I think, yeah, they're picking up in a slightly a kind way on the fact that Bobcat Goldthwait deliberately throws his characters to the dogs. Like, deliberately says, well, these were sympathetic and now they're absolutely not sympathetic yeah. anymore. Yep. Make of that what you will. <laughs> Other, in, other reviews weren't quite so kind. Uh, Roger Ebert, um, I think Roger Ebert might actually have been the one that wrote this review. He was still alive at the time. He gave it two stars. And I actually don't mind this review. He doesn't like it as much as I do, clearly. But um, he says, The first half hour or so of Bobcat Goldthwait's God Bless America promises so much more than the film is finally able to deliver. Here is a film that begins with merciless comic savagery and descends into merely merciless savagery. Uh, he also says, But whoa, what an opening. 
I think this, the film does okay, given what it's attempting to do. I think it does it quite well, actually. But I do agree that, to some extent, it starts with a lot more of a focused, incisive narrative and purposefully degrades these characters by you know, in this case, he's saying it merely merciless savagery by the end. But I, I, again, again, I'm saying I think that's sort of on purpose. Mm. He points out that the film doesn't name Westboro Baptist Church. Now, there's a there's a kind of religious there's a, there's a group in it that, that uh, are holding the signs that, up. Yeah. There's a group in it. Yeah, exactly. God hates, God hates fags, what and stuff. I think yeah. he's suggesting is that it's a wee bit sh- of shitebaggery because it doesn't mention Westboro Baptist Church, but it does specifically name Diablo Cody. Mm. And it's like, right, well, you're either going to name people or you're not going to name people. Aye, go go in, fool. I don't go in Don't fucking chicken out. Yeah, yeah. He thinks, Roger Ebert, or whoever was reviewing it for Roger Ebert, thinks that it's all especially effective because of Joel Murray's performance. He makes Frank a decent, level-headed, respectable man and not an obvious comedy type. He's also smart and articulate. So so articulate, indeed, that sometimes he sounds like a combination of Al Franken, Rachel Maddow, and the I'm Mad as Hell speech in Network. And actually... When the network thing comparison comes yeah. up a lot, because mm-hmm. there is a lot of that, that social outrage yeah. from like born of slight mental illness or fragmenting mental state. And it concludes what uh, he has created, i.e. Bobcat Goldthwait, in the name of comic social commentary is an amoral movie about two psychopaths killing people they believe deserve to die. I see what Goldthwait is trying to do and agree with many of his complaints about our society, but finally it becomes impossible to laugh. So Ebert is one of these people that the film has teetered on the edge of acceptability in terms of that moral line that it tries to walk, and for him it's just fallen to the wrong side of it. Mm -hmm. And I get that, because people are going to have a different you know, level, a different gauge. And for me, it manages it just, and I think it manages it just because I think I have faith as a fan of the director and his other work that he knows that his characters become fairly abhorrent. Um, but I don't know if Roger Ebert's given him that grace. And probably uh, so a couple of really bad ones. By the way, um, this guy, Brian Egger, he writes for Deep Focus Review, give it 3.5 out of 4. Drew uh, Parallels with Network. This is a pretty good one, actually, sorry. He brought up Bonnie and Clyde, Taxi Driver, Natural Born Killers, Jackie Brown. He is one of these people that is kind of on my side about uh, Goldthwait's stance. On the flip of that, Spectrum Culture, and I just couldn't get my fucking head around this. First of all, their review gave it 1.75 out of 5. What? Which is 7 out of 20, or maybe 3.5 out of 10. (laughs) Or maybe 0.875 at a two and a half. Right. <laughs> Depending yeah. on how you want to yeah. fix your fucking rating system, guys. That right. is absolutely ridiculous. Shocking. Um, he says, has its crooked heart in the right place. Too bad it's so inept that it can't do anything about it. It says, writer-director Bobcat Goldthwait has never been one for subtlety, but his last film, World's Greatest Dad, gave Robin Williams his best role in years. It's really difficult to care when these characters are just as obnoxious as the Bible bangers and assholes they are shooting. Well, again, I kind of think that's sort of the point. Yeah, it's kind of aye. Aye. And this is one of those reviews when I'm sort of like, I don't know if it's willful or, willful or not, but they're misreading the intention of the film by the end. Um, there is a key quote here, though, that I said, so are Frank and Roxy actually any better than the people they kill? I'm not sure, and I'm not sure that Goldthwait knows that either. But funnily enough, I do agree with that, because I think that's what Goldthwait likes doing. Yeah, I think yeah. He, he likes... Blowing the lines. Yeah, putting in so much ambiguity that by the end of it, even he's like, are they good? I don't know. Maybe. Aye. In places. You know, he, he just revels in all awkward ambiguity yep, yep. he fucking loves that that's that's his total MO mm-hmm. so I think I guess my response to that would be I think 
as I said, he, he fucking revels in ambiguity. Um, and World's Greatest Dad and Sleeping Dogs, he doesn't draw absolute conclusions, and I, I think he demonstrates a wee bit of humility in that. I, I think as a filmmaker, he's not trying to tell you what's a moral absolute or what's right. Even if, even if it's a subtle one, he's not trying to say this is right and this is wrong. He's just fucking putting mess on the table, Aye. artful mess, yep. and being like, you work out your own morality for that. I don't fucking Aye. care. Aye, exactly. You know, even I'm not decided. To, to a point, man, I mean, the, the, the film, de- he's definitely pointing that the shows such as the American Idol oh, and he's, saying, he's, this is bad. He's absolutely he's, clear about yeah, that. But, but I think he's very unclear about whether or not he approves in any way of any of these. I mean, he almost certainly doesn't approve of any of the violent responses. But what I mean is, even as characters in the fictional world, I think he's like, is that admirable? Right. Pro- probably yeah. not. Aye. Mm-hmm. But I'm just going to fucking do it because it's entertaining yeah. and it raises a point. I mean, he releases a conversation into the world, not a conclusion, Yeah, would be the way I would probably put it. Yeah. Um, I think he knows that a lot of us agree with the ire that he also feels towards many of the targets, but I suspect he's conflicted about his own feelings in the matter. Yeah, I I just think people that have criticised it in some cases have either willfully or not missed the point of how much he's happy to watch his character's likability disintegrate towards mm-hmm. the end of a film. Yeah. He is just that guy, and if you if you aren't familiar with his work, mm-hmm. or you're maybe just not on you know the same wavelength as him, I can see why you wouldn't like that. Yeah, but uh, oh, this is not not a movie for everybody. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you get that model's great dad as well. Like Aye. you're you're on board with Rob Williams' character to start with, and then eventually by the end you're like, uh. and he, I see, I, because yeah. he's he's pointing out that. There's no absolute in anything, do you know what I mean? Not, not one person's all good. We've all got good and bad yeah, in us, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's just that, that line that blurs, you know what I mean? I think it's just the thing is in in the climate of filmmaking and TV, I'd imagine, and probably books as well, we're much more used to directors and writers giving us more absolutes, you know, mm, telling aye. us, well, even if it's a nuanced one, telling us, right, this was right and this was wrong, but they are still overall a good character. Even if you look at something like Game of Thrones, like a Jamie Lannister character, their cycle tended to go from pretty awful through to pretty good. Mm. It wasn't like they were pretty awful and kind of good and then became pretty good but also slightly awful. It yep. tended to be more of a an arc that you were like at any one yeah, point... Yeah, they started in one place and ended up in the opposite place yeah, to where and, they started. And at any yeah. one point, you could classify what they were. Whereas in this film, at any one point, it's kind of hard to classify whether they're good or bad. Right, uh, right yeah. wrong, yep. um, So I th- maybe just as a culture, we're more used to films drawn in simpler strokes. And that might sound daft to a film that's so fucking gaudy and puerile as this, but I think there's a lot of subtlety that in is. the messaging and the writing uh, in, in his films in general. Uh, I think people who are not a fan of them will deride me for saying that. They'll be like, it's just a fucking idiot that does mad films about <laughs> people wanking dugs and fucking shooting fucking cars and like blowing up babies and stuff like that. You're like, well, and, well uh, on he, the surface, yes. Well, this is the thing. So Aye. his own ambiguity applies to him because he is that. You're right. Aye. He absolutely is a guy Aye. that made a film about a woman getting a dug at a blowy, right? Aye. But he's also a That's guy. Not, that is near the actual story, really, <laughs> yeah. of the film. Do Within you know what I mean? That, Aye. That's, that's just to get you in. That gets you in the door so Aye. then he can slip his message in there. Nothing gets me in the door like a dug getting a blowy. <laughs> nothing. Aye. Absolutely nothing. There's, there's places in the world you pay good money for that. I know somebody that actually wanked a dog man, so I mean that's fucking, and you know him as well. And I don't, I know I don't even need to tell you who it is. I, think I, I just want to say to the audience, that's not me they're talking about. No, it's no Chris, no Chris, no. Um, I, but I think he uses maybe that's his job. Maybe he's a vet, <laughs> dog wanker, a, breed, a breeder. He's just a fucking horrible bastard. Um, <laughs> on a different note, I, I think he, I back to the film. I think he just uses, he uses really extreme 
visuals to you know to to kind of shock you, but it's all he's like smashing you over the head with it to get your attention. But then there's the underlying message of the film. Do you know what I mean? And it's just whether you can, as a, the, the viewer, you're able to see that that nuance in the in the film. Do you know what I mean? Because a lot of folk like you're saying, I just got to go. It's a fucking mad film. It's guys killing babies and shit like that. But no, it's not really about that. It's like you're saying. I mean, we've been saying yeah. about the social. Just society's just fucking crumbling. Do you know what I mean? And and what we what we find entertaining now is actually just fucking base level shit. You know, like laughing at people with disabilities and exploiting people for whatever fucking reason. You know, whether it's fucking cultural or whatever. Do What's you know what I mean? kind of interesting is that laughing at people with disabilities is actually very much off the menu for this particular generation. Aye. It might cycle back around. It was very much on the menu for like the nineteen seventies, for example. Yeah. But it's completely. And and inadmittable, you yeah, know. You can you can I'm have sorry. a dating show where you look at folks fucking arseholes, but you cannot you laugh, laugh at somebody, at somebody in, a somebody, in a wheelchair. Yeah. So there, there is a kind of shifting. Yeah. Aye. It's like aye. It's sorry. It's like fashionable to, to be offended by this. This is the season to be, but but it's going to be something completely different next year. Do you know what I mean? And that that can only last for so long. I, I think that one thing that does occur to me, and I, this would be my kind of part and thought on it, right, is that regardless of where you're coming at with this film. You know that whole thing about how people are not really... You don't get people to judge um, a criminal if they were the person that was sinned against, right? You, 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 you're relying yeah. on an objectivity and an impartial jury and all that kind of thing, right? And people watch this film and they're full of fucking... All these like very objective uh, concerns and reservations about it, okay? But then... When you read that story, especially if you watch the video of Simon Kill humiliating Paula Goodspeed, I challenge you to still have exactly the same feelings as you had. And Aye. see, once you see... You know, I'm not saying that you're going to suddenly be like, right, Simon Kill deserves to be shot. I'm not saying that for a second. Your perspective, the, the, the dial will definitely shift a little oh, in terms of, of how you look at what has been said in this yeah. film. And it's that yeah. thing, like, it's all very well being completely dispassionate and, and coming to a moral judgment and writing about it. And But what I think the context of this film shows is that Goldthwait was clearly fucking disgusted by that story mm -hmm. and fucking disgusted by the story of the, the Japanese boy as well that, yeah. was, that was mocked on that show. And whilst I'm not saying for a second he was at the level where he had taken a gun out and shot someone, he was fucking moved by that. And had some strong things to say, even if they were sort of figurative and via the, the vehicle of an extremely violent film. Mm. I just, yeah, I, I I would like folk who are going to weigh it up to watch that performance. That seems a terrible thing to say, but that was a real person. To, to give context to what Goldthwait's saying in this film. That was a real yeah. person, yeah. <laughs> and that mockery, that cruelty, that fucking part of our society doesn't come at no cost. No matter how much we might want to pretend, it's just a bit of fun. Why do you hate X Factor? It's just a bit of fun. Well, I'm not saying that everybody goes in X Factor is fucking killing themselves on people's front gardens. Yeah, but there's consequences. But someone to, did. Yeah. Aye, and Aye. We have fucking rewarded those people fabulously for that. And it's just fucking skin crawlingly horrible. Mm. Aye, and so, totally. yeah, if you are going to watch this film, I would look into that as well to really try and appreciate the, 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 the place that some of this writing is coming from and the real sense of moral outrage that he feels. He's not just being fucking moany. He's actually deeply fucking moved by a pretty horrific thing. Yeah. Aye, not totally. Not percent, aye. 
Hey, hi. So that, that was the film. Shall we just go into our ratings? We have a simpler rating system, Chris, than your... Aye, we don't have any, like... Spectrum, and, and, 1.3 quarters. 1.765. <laughs> like, like, pie out of six and a half. Aye, rate, rate your film out of pie. <laughs> <laughs> I've been reading about fractals recently. I could... 40 decimal points. <laughs> it's in 6.5 timing. <laughs> hey, uh, I enjoyed the film. I didn't enjoy it as much as World's Greatest Dad. Um, I don't think it's as watertight as that nah, and, it's, no, and it no. lacks the charisma of Robin Williams yeah absolutely it does aye yeah. aye totally the, the much missed Robin Williams I felt it sagged a lot in the middle you're saying where you could lose some time on it mm-hmm. there's probably around there around the point where they kind of where they sort of get into the paedophile chat a little bit mm-hmm. and they meet that guy in the diner yeah and like around there it felt that the film slowed I wasn't not that I'd lost interest but it definitely I wasn't as into it I think they kind of lost where the message is a wee bit so I around there I'd, I'd give this film a three out of five. Nice, uh, I'm the same as you. I, I I enjoyed the movie, but I it, it just didn't seem as well structured as as like you know the one of those great stars. You know what I mean? That felt when I watched that movie at the end, of it, I felt kind of fulfilled. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? But this it kind of felt a wee bit all over the place. It was a bit kind of scatterbrained. I think he tried to I think he tried to shoehorn too much stuff like the paedophile thing I think he was trying to cover too many bases of moral outrage yeah, do you know what I mean is, this is what's uh, wrong with the world and, and I think if he'd have just stuck to the, the whole you know the disabled guy thing do you know what I mean and maybe maybe whatever but there was too much stuff about like the parking space thing and all that type of shit just felt like that kind of there was a lot of throwaway aye, scenes in it I think, yep. I, I think if he'd have made like a short film I think it would have been much more it would have been more impactful I think do you know what I mean because mm-hmm. he wouldn't have had all this other shit forced into it sort of men in black type 82 minutes yeah that kind of thing aye something like that aye but aye I enjoyed it um, in the opening scene aye the opening scene was yeah definitely aye. grabbed you with, with that opening I mean that's about a fucking genius marketing move because oh, totally, that yeah. made a lot of lists oh, oh absolutely 100% I mean to certain I mean it's, it's played for laughs obviously yeah aye. but to a certain person that is an absolutely horrific thing oh that's to, a turn off the, that's a turn off the fucking yeah, movie totally. do you know what it's I mean it's a video nasty if you're a certain disposition you're, you're not going to be down with the and rest it, of that aye. film isn't it amazing how that simple device of making them fantasise about that yeah. makes it, it almost makes passable makes it almost passable <laughs> when, when it's ultimately exactly the same fucking thing aye yeah. it totally is man totally is a three is maybe too much but 2.5 seems fucking too oh, that's little that's very average I don't think it's very I, average I, I would say I would say three I'd say three um Aye, it just it feels a wee bit bloated in places, do you know what I mean? With this film, I have been amazed over the years how many times I've gone back and watched it. So be curious to see if you do get that itch, because there's a lot of films like we were talking about earlier on that I've absolutely no, as much as I like them, I've no inclination mm-hmm. to go back and watch them. I've seen this film about six or seven times. Right. right. And it, it is a film that I would also happily put on for folk. It has a lightness about it. Oh, yeah. totally, aye. As well as being very shocking. And so it fills a certain role. It fulfills a certain role. And yeah, I've gone back to it quite a number of times. So whilst I agree that it's flawed and whilst, you know, at first blush, I may have been like, yeah, three, three and a half. I've gone back to it a lot of times. And that's right. that's an interesting phenomenon. Mm-hmm. No, totally. I mean, it's... Um Aye, it's it's interesting. There's definitely enough in it that you could go back and watch it again. Do you know what I mean? It's no like it's no completely devoid of fucking messages and, and shit that you can really stuff you can take for you can, but 
I don't know. I probably would watch it again. Do you know what yeah. I mean? One it's, thing, it's definitely entertaining. It's got an entertaining value. One it. thing worth Aye. noting when you're watching it as well is that uh, Bobcat Goldthwait loves working with his friends. He says mm-hmm. that he makes films partly as an excuse to work and hang out with his friends. For example, Joe Murray, who's been friends with for a long, long time. Yep. Um, I think Tar was the only person auditioned for for a role, right. a main role in this. Everybody else was just invited because mm-hmm. they were pals with his. Aye. And so there's a real sense of fun that goes through it. Yeah, you get that you get that vibe from. I mean, having only seen two of his films, you, what some of you said there, light yet shocking, and I think that yeah. lightness comes from a group of friends getting together just aye. to make something. You know, it's, almost it's, like, it's, it's in the film. No, there's the actual yeah, process. There's none like of that a, Coppola aye. ordeal going on here, man. Yeah, These people are having a really that's, nice time. Yeah, it's yeah. almost like a kind of like a theatre group or something mm-hmm. like that, full of friends. Do you know what I mean? Just doing what they do for yeah. a while. shooting babies. Yeah, shooting babies. Shooting babies, <laughs> man. Aye. Fucking right. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, no, thanks for coming. Aye, Chris. cheers uh, again, mate. Do you punt anything? Your, your podcast, Unsung Podcast? Unsung Podcast, uh, yeah, yeah. Unsungpod.net or whatever fucking Sick, app Chris. that you use. Tell us about music. Aye, we talk about a lot of different music. We've got an episode coming up on Playola, which is the fucking racket that has sprung up around pay for, you know, listing on, on playlists and how that's feeding the Swedish mafia, believe it or not. <laughs> the fucking um, Swedish mafia? The Swedish mafia Swedish picked wow. up on this, yeah. I mean, Paola historically Who was knew? a thing that the mafia picked up on, but now the Swedish mafia are in <laughs> on the Spotify fake playlist game. So, you know, those ads you get like £15 and we'll get you fucking 10,000 listens and all that shit. Oh, the shit. So that's uh, going to some pretty interesting places. And yeah, we just finished a three-part fucking show <laughs> pulling the trigger on Nirvana, Nirvana. which I mean as very a kid very much not unsung yeah very much not unsung but that was kind of the point of the show and we talked about incesticide and how it's this hodgepodge fucking collection of things that in a lot of ways gives a much more honest picture of the band than the things that they're better known for it was, it was interesting I did listen to the three episodes and it was interesting you took a different angle to Nirvana I think mm-hmm. which and you speak about that on the podcast how you didn't just want to retread yeah, I mean the ground. world doesn't need another yeah, totally. fucking I, here's yeah. the history of Nirvana yeah, no, yeah. It, was, it, was, it was good stuff man yeah thanks yeah. so yeah that's uh, out every week and there's bonus stuff and people can go and check that out cool and uh, come back and see us again yeah get yeah. me on for something that's not Bobcat Goldthwait yeah we'll, we'll see what comes up I will get you on the list is long else, man. the list is long and yeah. grim man <laughs> I told you I've got a pile of DVDs in my house I have this cool. fucking tick where I go and collect second hand DVDs of everything that I like so I get this fucking giant wall yeah, of them send, send me some of the suggestions I'll just send you a photo of my pile I will just pick that. them at random I don't know if I photo your pile Chris yeah, that's my photo of my <laughs> piles, piles. Hi, <laughs> uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, our next film will be that one we drew last week. Oh, Death to Smoochie. Death to Smoochie, yeah. So that, that'll seen be the that, next week. Uh, you know what? I've not seen that. Robin Williams is in it. Yeah, I, I remember <laughs> it, and it was a film that I considered watching a it's, number of times, and I just was never, ever in the, the zone for it. Spoilers, man. I think you'd love it. <laughs> Aye. Now we're, we're no, talking no, about yeah. that. Uh, kind of similar to. That kind of stuff we've been talking about there, that bobcat. I, I, obviously, not as extreme, but it's definitely got that wacky kind of vibe to it. But I, mm. off a watch, man. Cool. That's, that's us next week, then. Nice one. Catches. Cheers. Cheers, man. Cheers.